Keith Major Show. All the people know, straight from Hawaii, we're all you need for sure. From news and local events, music and much more. With the Keith Major Show, we give you so much more. Welcome back, Keith welcome Major back. Show. Aloha and hello and welcome to the Keith, Keith Major Show. show. Um, right up front, I got a lot of inquiries about, hey, Keith Major, did you say something about making money at the end of your last podcast? Dude, you were supposed to be learning about Iran. Like, my mention of making money was two minutes of like a 60-minute show, but that two minutes seemed to be the two minutes that resonated with everyone. So, this entire show is going to be devoted on how war drives profits and makes money and what we as little guys need to do to get in and ride that gravy train. Um, Because when a war starts, the gravy train rides on biscuit wheels. So instead of arguing Democrats versus Republicans, liberals versus conservatives, Let's not do that because the only thing that really matters in Washington, D.C. is the haves and the have nots. So let's do what we can to at least get a little bit ahead and let's make us a little bit of money in something that's guaranteed to make some money. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned and I'm going to give you everything you need to know to figure out. Because you, you, conceptually, you need to understand, like, what is he talking about? War makes money. I'm going to explain it to you. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for listening into the Keith Major Show. News, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. You're listening to the Keith Major Show, a podcast recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Throughout the 1920s, the U.S. economy expanded rapidly and the nation's total wealth more than doubled between 1920 and 1929, a period dubbed the Roaring Twenties. The stock market was the scene of reckless speculation where everyone from millionaire tycoons to cooks to car washers, to boot shiners, janitors all poured their life savings into the stock market. As a result, the stock market underwent rapid expansion. But wait, hold that thought. We'll get back to the stock market. Ladies and gentlemen, the great strength of American capitalism is productivity. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can produce as much as fast as the U.S. We are the global masters of production. In the historical development of the international economic system that we call capitalism, there are a few historic factors that are the cause of this enormous increase in productivity. The first one was mechanization of the production process that uh, happened in England in the early 18th century. We started using 
more and more complex machines to accomplish specific tasks that increased a man's ability to do labor. The next thing is an American contribution, which is automatization of work by means of new techniques, which is what gave us the assembly line. You take a bunch of machines and link them together and then automate them and they just pump out stuff at a far greater rate than an individual man hour was capable of doing. The latter innovation was actually introduced by Henry Ford. Hence that technique is called Fordism. The productivity of the great American enterprise rose spectacularly in the 20s, right? And into the 30s. But there was a problem. Demand wasn't matching supply. We had more stuff for people to buy than people we had to sell it to. In business school, shameless plug for the Scheidler College of Business at University of Hawaii at Manoa Gobos. In business school, we call that supply-demand mismatch. There was no equilibrium in the market. In pricing theory, the scarcity principle suggests that the price for a good should rise or lower until an equilibrium is reached between supply and demand. For example, in the 20s, countless vehicles rolled off the Ford assembly line every day. But who was supposed to buy all of those cars? At the time, most Americans didn't have deep pocketbooks. They didn't have the cash to make big purchases like a brand new car. Other industries similarly flooded the market and the result was the emergence of a chronic disharmony between the ever increasing economic supply and the lagging demand. Supply, demand, mismatch. And if you go to the Shidler College of Business, the man had to teach you that. His name is Jack Siderhout. Good dude. Thus arose the economic crisis generally known as the Great Depression. The Great Depression was basically supply demand mismatch on steroids. And during the depression, we learned that the great strength of American capitalism is also its greatest weakness, namely extremely high productivity. We just had stuff sitting on the sales, but people didn't have the money in their pocketbooks to buy this stuff. So at some point, something's gotta happen, right? There's gotta be a change. I'll tell you what the change was. The stock market crash of 1929. By 29, production had already declined and unemployment has, had risen, leaving stock prices much higher than their actual value. Additionally, wages at the time were low. Consumer debt was proliferating. Um, the agricultural sector of the economy was struggling due to drought and failing food prices and banks had an excess of large loans that could not be liquidated. 
the American economy entered a mild recession during the summer of 1929. As consumer spending slowed and those unsold goods that people could not afford piled up. The stock market continued to rise nonetheless. People didn't see the cliff coming. So they kept investing in the stock market because they just didn't see, hey, we're not selling a lot of stuff. On October 24th, 1929, as nervous investors began selling overpriced shares in mass, the stock market crashed. 12.9 million shares were traded on that day, and that is the day that we refer to as Black Thursday. And then five days later came Black Tuesday. That Those were the, the latecomers, the people that didn't get it on Thursday, and they had all weekend to think about it. Then the market reopens, and then they get nervous, and we saw all these other people pull out. So we want to pull out too. So on Black Tuesday, 16 million more shares were traded after a wave of panic swept Wall Street. Millions of shares ended up worthless. Many people lost their shirts. Um, consumer confidence vanished in the wake of the stock market crash. The downturn in spending and investment led factories and other businesses to finally slow down production, but they also had to fire workers. So now you got unemployed people in an already failing economy, and it was just this downward cascading effect. Some Americans, many of them, were forced to buy things on credit, and then they fell into debt. And so now you're piling one more thing on top of an already bad situation, and then that led to a slew of foreclosures and repossessions, and the economy and the nation was just out of whack. Of note, there have only been two presidents to come from big business. Did y'all know that? Donald Trump and the other one is Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover was a former Secretary of Commerce, a self-made millionaire. He made his money in the mining industry. He was a graduate of Stanford University and he had a degree in geology. He donated his presidential salary to charity. Hoover, and this is the important part, was an advocate of laissez-faire economics. He believed an economy based on capitalism would self-correct. He felt that economic assistance would make people stop working. He believed Business prosperity would trickle down to the average person. Trickle down. There's that word. So it's not Ronald Reagan who kind of gets anointed as the poster boy of trickle down economics. It was actually Herbert Hoover. Hoover supported the very unpopular prohibition of alcohol and did not want to make alcohol legal and here's a trivia point for you in 1931 herbert hoover signed the law that made the star spangled banner the american national anthem did y'all know that did y'all know that before 1931 there was no 
national anthem. So that's one of the things that Hoover is known for. Um, however, Hoover is also known for the Great Depression. Therefore, it's safe to presume that he was unpopular, and that is why he lost his re-election to FDR, who ran on the New Deal. The New Deal was a series of programs, public works projects, financial reforms, and regulations enacted by Franklin Roosevelt between 33 and 39, and this was all in response to the Great Depression. FDR generally gets credited for saving America from the Great Depression, but that's not actually the case. You know who saved America from the Great Depression and pulled the U.S. economy out of the dumps? It was Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler, ladies and gentlemen, saved America. And before you go running off screaming, let's take a break. And I'm going to come back and explain to you why I say that. News, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. If you ask many business people, and economists, it's undeniable that in America, the Great Depression not only ended during, but was because of the Second World War. Even the greatest admirers of FDR admit that his much-publicized New Deal didn't really do much for America. Economic demand rose spectacularly when the war allowed American industry to produce unlimited amounts of war equipment. So let's go back. Remember all that stuff that we produced that was sitting on the shelves that people couldn't afford to buy because they didn't have the wages to buy it and we had that supply-demand mismatch? Well, all that stuff that was piling up in those warehouses, we painted it all OD green, slapped stars on the side, and moved it all out the door to support the war effort. There's nothing that provides customers like a good war effort. OD Green for my non-military types. OD is the abbreviation for olive drab. It's that kind of like dull green military color. That's called OD Green. Between 1940 and 1945, America would spend no less than $185 billion on equipment. The military share of the GNP, the gross national product, rose from an insignificant 1.5% to a whopping 40% between 1939 and 1945. 1.5% to 40% in six years. In addition, American industry also supplied gargantuan amounts of equipment to the allies and get this american companies all form subsidiaries in other names and we're talking companies like ford gm um, itt 
they produce stuff in Germany for the Germans for the war effort. They were getting paid on both ends. They took all that excess stuff, sold some to the Americans and to the Allies, and turned right around and went to Germany and sold it to Hitler and the Germans. Is that not dirty or what? The key problem of the Great Depression, the disequilibrium between supply and demand, supply-demand mismatch, was thus resolved because the government primed the pump of economic demand by means of humongous orders of military equipment. As far as ordinary Americans were concerned, Washington's military spending orgy brought not only virtually full employment, but also much higher wages than ever before. So, People were robbing the war effort, but people didn't care because they were also making a ton of money. The greatest beneficiaries, however, by far of the wartime effort boom were the country's business people and corporations who realized ridiculous profits. Between 1942 and 1945, the net profits of America's 2,000 biggest firms were more than 40% higher during the period 1936 to 1939. This profit boom was possible because the state ordered billions of dollars of military equipment, failed to institute price controls, and tax profits very little, if at all. The, this largesse benefited the American business world in general, but in particular, that relatively restricted elite of big doggy dogs corporations were known as big business. That's where the term big business comes from. That started in World War II. During the war, a total of less than 60 firms obtained 75% of all the military and state ordered contracts 60 firms so it's, it's like an oligopoly at this point of people just drunk on revenue and profits and it's just out of control because we're fighting this war and they're getting paid on both ends ford ibm all those companies they became the war hogs for example IBM increased its annual sales between 1940 and 1945 from, get this, 46 to 140 million in five years. How was that for return on investment? Wouldn't you like to have that type of revenue growth in your company nowadays? Profits skyrocketed during the war. So fast forward, let's fast forward. September 11, 2001. 9-11 provided George Bush with carte blanche to wage war wherever, whenever, and with whomever he chose. And it didn't even matter who the enemy was. 
We rained bombs on Afghanistan, presumably looking for Osama bin Laden because we said that he was the cause of 9-11. But then when we couldn't find bin Laden, we lost him in the Tora Bora Mountains. I was there. What do we do? We shifted fires and we started dropping bombs in Iraq. Like, wait, how do we get to Iraq? from Afghanistan nobody cared you cannot talk about the specific reasons why Bush absolutely wanted a war with Iraq as opposed to let's say North Korea who many believe was the greater threat because of their nuclear capabilities and the fact that North Korean leaders are always you know kind of kooky and crazy um, they were deemed the greater threat but for whatever reason, we were determined to fight this war in Iraq. You cannot discuss that without also mentioning the vast oil reserves that were in Iraq. Bush, Dick Cheney, and Condoleezza Rice were all heavy, heavy, heavy into the oil business. Did y'all know that after Condoleezza Rice left public service, she went back to private sector and she served on the board of directors for the Carnegie Corporation, Charles Schwab, Chevron, Hewlett Packard, Rand Corporation and Transamerica? That's a lot of work. That's a lot of boards. Where did she find the time to sit on all them boards? And for her sacrifice, did you guys know that Chevron named one of their new oil tankers after Condoleezza Rice? Y'all think that's a coincidence? Here's the point. Americans of great wealth and privilege are hooked on war. Without a regular dose of war, they feel that the economy cannot function properly. Right. When the economy slows down, one of the things that you can use to kickstart it is a good old regional skirmish. Got to go drop some bombs somewhere. Get this economy kicked up. War yields desired profits. And right now, this addiction, this craving is being satisfied by a potential conflict with Iran. And oh, by the way, guess who just found 53 billion gallons of new oil? Iran did. Jay Clampett style. Out in some hill somewhere herding goats. And they found them 53 billion gallons of new oil. And all of a sudden, oh my God, we got to go get General Soleimani. Y'all think that's a coincidence? Could be. Could be. But you also have to consider that it could be not. Then in comes Trump. Who's a businessman. The second of only two presidents to come from big business. All the pundits on TV are hollering that Trump is crazy. Trump is a lunatic. What is Trump doing? Why is Trump stirring up stuff with Iran? Look, man. Trump might be dumb. But he ain't crazy. He's a businessman. The fact that Trump is keen on starting a war has nothing to do 
with his psyche. It has everything to do with the American economy. This economic system, America's brand of capitalism, functions first and foremost to make extremely rich Americans like the Bushes, like the Cheneys, and like the Trumps even more rich. Without war, this system can no longer produce the expected result in the form of ever higher profits. The moneyed and the powerful of America consider this as their birthright and they are drunk on the profits that war brings. It's an insatiable thirst for war that goes all the way back to the Great Depression. That's where they figured it out. And they've remembered it ever since. And it's their go-to to stimulate the economy and to make more money for rich people. The rich stay rich and the poor stay poor. And if the super rich have to choose between war and being broke, they're going to choose war each and every time. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Now you get the connection between the economy and war and why war is so important. Stay tuned, and I'll finish this You're up. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast, news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. Recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. Fast forward one more time. 2008. We got a new president, Barack Obama, a young, fiery Democrat senator from the state of Illinois. And what does he do? October 21st, 2011, Barack Obama ends the war in Iraq, ends the war in Afghanistan, ends the global war on terrorism. One signature brought 100,000 troops back home. Now, you would have thought that that would have been a good thing, but the Republicans and the fat cats were hopping mad about it. Obama cut their money off, and they never forgave him. Can you imagine getting billions of dollars, making money hand over fist, and in one fell swoop, that's gone? Imagine how upset you'd be. They held a grudge and they said, we will not support this cat ever for anything that he does until he leaves the White House. Only thing to mess their plan up was somehow Mitt Romney lost in 2012. They didn't expect that, didn't see it coming, and now they were stuck with another four years of Obama. You think the Republicans cared about Neil Gorsuch? No, they don't care about that. You think they really cared about Obamacare? Their kids got health care. They don't care about that. Do y'all really think the Republicans were upset that Obama was the first black president and they didn't want a black man in the White House? No, they didn't care about that either. Let me tell you what they cared about. They cared about the $6 trillion, that's trillion with a T, that the American taxpayers spent on the war effort. All they cared about was the money and the fact that Obama cut the money off. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. We spend all of our time arguing 
Democrats versus Republicans. Conservatives versus liberals. The only thing that matters, ladies and gentlemen, in D.C. and on Wall Street is the haves and the have-nots. Follow the money. So, we're going to talk about more in-depth in later episodes on how you little guys, how us dudes at the bottom of the totem pole can make some money in this war effort. And if you don't think another war is coming... You're fooling yourselves. There's a lot of money to be made. So let's make some of that money too. Defense stocks. You're listening to The Keith Major Show, a podcast, news, sports, finance, current events, and political commentary. Recorded live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And now, here's your host, Keith Major. So let me tell you my personal experience. Let's step back. And let me tell you what I saw with my own two eyes. And how I figured out that war was big business. I went to combat four times. Twice to Afghanistan and twice to Iraq. I ain't the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. And I know I went to Southern Public School. But it didn't take me long to figure out that there was a lot of money changing hands in the desert. No, I mean a lot of money changing hands. My first indication, the very first time I landed in the CZ, combat zone, the box, the shit, I had no idea what to expect because I had never been to war before, right? You go to all these schools, get all this training, you go to the combat course, doing all this stuff, it's all simulated, but you can't simulate game speed. There's nothing like the battlefield. You can come close, but you ain't in it tell you in it i thought it was gonna be like saving private ryan you know the boat dries up the ramp dries down it's all this gunfire and shooting you gotta like shoot your way in and kill up all these people had no idea that's what i thought i mean that's what you get trained to do right but oh no i get off the plane and all i could see was a sea of dudes wearing khaki cargo pants and knit shirts with oakley sunglasses and all their knit shirts had these logos on them. And they looked all happy to be there. And I'm like, huh? This ain't like the movies. This ain't Private Ryan. What is this? This was contractors. This what that was. Contractors. Okay, you're confused. Let me explain. The U.S. government, along with its many allies, now like using private assets to further geopolitical interests see nowadays nobody want to get their hands dirty all that warfare stuff and all that shooting and killing and crawling in the mud see nobody want to do that no more so countries outsource war when i was in combat there were about thirty thousand contractors working for the pentagon alongside the military it's cheaper for countries to use pmc's private military companies pmc's than it is to put their own boots on the ground and then if i don't have to put my own boots on the ground i don't have to worry about the citizens of my nation 
complaining about all the guys getting killed. It's just these guys we hire and nobody's really thinking about them, right? Based on my eyeball test, I, I'm pretty confident that there were more contractors than actual soldiers in the conflict zone when I was there. Virtually everything on the battlefield has been privatized. Private military companies exercise more control over the battlefield than that country's own inhabitants. The employees of these companies are called contractors and they're running everything. They're running logistics. They're running the housing. They're running the resupply. They literally, the food service, they're running the dining facilities, the defect, they're running everything. As a, as a military officer, all you're basically doing is waging warfare, right? Putting steel on target and everything else is done by these companies that were contracted by the government. And you're like, who are these companies? I've never heard of this. Well, I'm about to tell you. Northrop Grumman. Dynacorp, Halliburton, Blackwater, Triple Canopy, L3, Stratus, KBR. These are all names. If you're in the defense sector, these are everyday names. If it's not the thing that you track, you probably never heard of some of these companies before. It's so bad that there is a saying on the battlefield. When the guns start to shoot, call Kellogg, Brown, and Root. Kellogg, Brown, and Root is one of the the biggest contract companies and they go by KBR Kellogg Brown and Root KBR same people and you ask them what they do and the answer is like I'm a quote unquote security guard here to protect western interests that's generally right some manner of the drivel that they give you when, when you ask them dude what, what is it that you here doing when you hear the term western interests Ladies and gentlemen, that's just a euphemism for an old white man's money. I'm a security guard here to protect an old white man's money. Slash Western interest. Same thing. And you might be wondering who in their right mind would go to combat if they didn't have to. Who is signing up for this? I'll tell you. It's all kinds of people. Mostly prior military, but not all. And their number one motivation for signing up, cash money. Make no mistake about it. These guys are getting paid a pretty penny. So let me tell you a story about the guys that were working for me. They were L3 guys. I had some contractors working for me. They were prior Marines enlisted. Neither one of them had a college degree. So I had a young lady that also worked in my office. She was Air Force. And one day she was walking through the office and her eyeball zoomed in on a pay stub for one of the contractors. And of course, you can't leave pay stubs around women. She, it was, she couldn't help it. So she picks up the pay stub and she's like, holy cow. I'm like, what you got there? She's like, oh, this pay stub just happened to fall in my hand. And I'm like, mm, yeah, okay, but since it's in your hand, let me take a gander at that. You know how much these guys were getting paid? Two guys with no college degree. 
they were getting paid $26,000 a month. And a big portion of that was tax-free because they're in the combat zone. $26,000 a month is what these L3 contractors were making. And I almost fell on the floor because I'm like, I'm the boss and you guys are making all the money? No, 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 no. How about you be the boss and I want to be a worker bee because I'm trying to make some of that contractor paper. These guys were making a mint. I mean, they were working hard. Don't get it wrong. But they were making, where else can you go and make $26,000 a month? Not too many places, right? L3 contractors, I'm telling you. Making a killing. So, Cheney was the CEO of a company called Halliburton. Halliburton is the parent company of KBR. In August of 2000, when Bush puts Cheney on the ticket, he has to turn in a financial filing. I guess he didn't have to turn it in because Trump ain't turned nothing. But back then, it was apropos, you know, a gentlemanly thing. They would turn in these financial statements. Here's how much Cheney was making as the CEO of Halliburton. Listen to this now. Salary for one year. This is 2000. His salary was $821,000. Deferred salary, $403,000. Stock equivalent bonus, $396,000. Senior executive deferred compensation, $53,000. Elective deferred salary lump sum payout, $1.1 million. Restricted stock imputed income, $7.5 million. Non-qualified stock option income, $21.9 million. Senior executive deferred compensation payout, $2.7 million. That's what Cheney made as CEO of Halliburton in one year. And then the thing that pissed people off, right after Bush gets elected, Hallie Burton miraculously, coincidentally, gets a $750 billion uncontested, no-compete contract to provide services to the war effort. You think there's a coincidence there? Do you think those two things are connected? Maybe. Maybe not. But that's a lot of money. So the point in all of this is the surest way to make money over the long term is to tap mega trends with momentum. That's in any industry. If you can find something that's on a long term upswing and you invest, you're going to make money. Ever bigger defense budgets are a permanent fact of life. The defense budget is never going to go down. It just it's just not military spending is also vital for national economies and job creation. And this is what makes the defense sector an even more attractive investment proposition. 
I've been preaching buy defense stocks, buy defense stocks, buy defense stocks. I've been preaching that for years. Based on the latest numbers from the Pentagon and the White House, the Department of Defense proposed base defense budget for next year is $718.3 billion with a B. That's a whopping 250.27% increase over the base budget of $287 billion in 2001. So we've had Operation Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom, and now potentially we're going to have this flare-up thing with Iran. Three wars have increased the Pentagon's budget 250%. And it's a small number of companies cashing in on the preponderance of all that money. Regardless of any efforts at fiscal austerity by Congress, the defense budget is just going to grow and grow over the next decade. That's that mega trend with momentum that I am talking about. The military strategists right now are trying to contain Russia, China. Um, that great power competition is now Trump's buzzword. So we're going to repivot from CENTCOM to Asia. That's even more money. The momentum is not going to slow down. And now insert this thing with Iran. Defense contractor revenue and profits will not only survive over the next few years, but it's going to be out of control. This is a rare buying opportunity to pick up some great stocks at low price. And ladies and gentlemen, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you some companies you need to look at and be cognizant of so that you can make some money too. The big boys going to make their money, but there's going to be enough little crumbs on the table for us little guys to make some money too. So stay tuned to the Keith Major Show. You're listening to the Keith Major Show, a podcast news sports finance current events and political commentary recorded live in honolulu hawaii and now here's your host keith major all right welcome back get your pencils ready let's go through some stocks some defense stocks um first one up is textron textron probably never heard of that one Total sales, $14.2 billion. That's a lot of money for a company you've never heard of, right? Textron, they're based in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, They're one of 11 American companies to rank among the world's, world's largest defense contractors. One of their subsidiaries is Bell Helicopters. Textron makes armored vehicles, unmanned aircraft, and attack helicopters. Lidos. Lidos profit $242 million. Um, total sales $10.2 billion. Nearly half of the $10.2 billion in revenue of Virginia-based Lidos 
comes from defense and intelligence. The company's services include IT infrastructure, data analytics, cybersecurity, logistics, surveillance vehicles, equipment development and maintenance, and they have contracts with the U.S. Air Force, Army, Navy, NATO, Allies, Lido. So look them up. They also hire a lot of people. So if you're looking for a job, make sure you submit a resume to Lido's talent pool. Maybe they'll give you a call. Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce. Total sales, $19.3 billion in total sales. And here, you're thinking Rolls-Royce only made cars. Nope. Rolls-Royce makes airplane engines. Um, Rolls-Royce Holdings is separate from Rolls-Royce Motor Cars. So if you look, um, make sure you're looking at the right stock because they're both called Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce's revenue comes from civil aerospace followed by power systems, defense aerospace, marine, and nuclear technology. Um, if you are a military aviation fan, the, the engines inside an AV-81B Harrier, that's a Marine Corps attack aircraft, those engines are made by Rolls-Royce. They also make engines for C-130, Hercules and T-45 Goshawks, which is a training aircraft. Um, and they're also making orders for, get this, the V-22 Osprey. Rolls-Royce makes those engines. Honeywell. Honeywell's total sales, $40.5 billion. These are not small companies. Honeywell has had a contract with the Army to develop long-range weapons, Operating systems for unmanned aerial vehicles and missile navigation systems. They also manufacture the T-55 engine in the Army Chinook helicopter. Chinooks are the big uh, twin-engine helicopters they use for, I think, heavy lift and troop transports. Pretty popular. There's a lot of Chinooks around the world. Honeywell is making that stuff. United Technologies Corporation, total sales $59.8 billion with a B. They design and sell advanced systems for helicopters, um, and they make rescue equipment, rescue hoists, autopilot systems, and laser-guided weapon warning systems. They make parts for the F-22, F-16, and F-15 fighter jets, as well as parts and components for the C-17 Globemaster III. Um, and one of their subsidiaries is Pratt & Whitney. Pratt & Whitney makes a lot of aircraft engines. So anyone in the aviation industry will recognize these names. If you're not, just do a Google search and get familiar with some of, the, some of these names. A lot of money out there we're talking about. Airbus. Airbus is a European company. Um, their total sales, $75.2 billion. Airbus is the second largest defense contractor in Europe. Um, and they make this thing called the Eurofighter Typhoon Jet, which you've probably never seen. But it's a mainline, mainline fighter um, for, for our allies. Basically like the European version of an F-18, right? 
Uh, but that's a lot of money. Airbus. Airbus also makes uh, commercial aircraft. Um, so check them out. That's a good stock to have in your portfolio. General Dynamics. Total sales $31 billion. They make all kinds of stuff at General Dynamics. Missiles, warships, submarines, um, rockets. They're in Falls Church, Virginia. And they're, uh, I think, the fifth largest contracting company in the country. Northrop Grumman. Total sales $25.8 billion. Northrop Grumman pioneered the flying wing concept. An aircraft with no tail or definitive fuselage in which most of the crew payload or equipment is situated in the main wing itself. Um, that's a B-2 stealth bomber. Northrop Grumman made that and that's what we're using now a lot. So that's where their $25.8 billion came from. The Air Force buying stealth bombers. BAE Systems. Look them up. Total sales $23.5 billion. BAE Systems is the largest defense contractor base in the UK and the fourth largest in the world. They built ground combat vehicles. So anything that's up armored and hulky and like, you know, anti-tank, all that stuff, that's BAE Systems. They make all that stuff. Raytheon. 25.3 billion in total sales. Third largest defense contractor in the world. Raytheon makes missile defenses and long range precision weapons. So every time we shoot a Tomahawk missile, cha-ching, Raytheon is getting paid. Boeing. Now, Boeing's one of my personal favorites because I've had my eye on Boeing. Ah, Boeing's having their, their share of issues right now, but Boeing is a great stock to own. I'm watching the market closely. Um, my personal buy price is $300 a share. People say I'm crazy. Boeing's never going to get that low. We'll see. We'll see. It, it's, it's, it's a gambling. It's a gambling. It's, it's, some people got their price. I got my price. Total sales, $93.4 billion. That's a lot of money. They made $26.9 billion just in arms sales. That's the second most of any defense contractor worldwide. They're making P-8 Poseidons. They're making F-15s. They make Apache helicopters. And you've seen Boeing in the news because they also make the Max 8. And the Max 8's having some issues right now, which is suppressing their stock price. So I'm hoping... The CEO just got fired as this whole thing rolls out. Inevitably, there's going to be lawsuits, but I'm hoping there'll be enough negative press about Boeing to drive their stock price down to $300. And if it ever gets to $300, ladies and gentlemen, you need to buy, buy, buy on Boeing. Lockheed Martin, total sales $51 billion. Arm sales, $44.9 billion. So um, the preponderance of their money is making stuff to kill people and blow stuff up. Lockheed Martin, by far, is the largest defense contractor in the world. Lockheed Martin makes aircraft. They make F-16s, F-22s, the new F-35s. They make sonar equipment. 
for ships, missile defense systems, land base and ship base, and they actually make missiles. So Lockheed Martin is a stock that you need to look out for. And as we get into this conflict reasonably with Iran or whoever, all of these companies are going to make ridiculous amounts of money the same way these companies made money during World War II. So, ladies and gentlemen, now you understand the profits of war. The big guys going to get their money. So, us little guys, we need to go get our money, too. Um, thanks for listening into the show. Next time, guys, next time. I will give you specific steps on how a newbie that knows absolutely nothing about the stock market and people ask, well, how do I start? Like, what do I do? Like, what comes first? I'll give you what I think are some initial steps you should take to get ready. Keith Major says, I still think the market is going to decline. I think there's a crash coming. Get your money ready. Stay liquid. Just like in the 20s, when the stock market crashes, you go out and you buy blue chip companies that you know are going to be around and you will make a lot of money. And those companies in general will be defense contractors because the uber wealthy love war because that's the thing that makes them even more rich than they already are. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Keith Major Show. This is Keith Major. Continue to send me questions. I will continue to ask them. And if there's enough interest, I will put it in the show. Thanks for listening. The Keith Major Show. All the people know. Straight from Hawaii. For all you need for sure. From news and local events. Music and much more. With the Keith Major Show, we give you so much more. Keith Major Show. Keith Major Show. Keith Major Show. Keith Major Show. Keith Major Show.